so you know Robert, and people on the podcast may remember Robert. He made a couple of cameo appearances uh, last summer, uh, pulling up some uh, random locations on the map for us. He works at a, a local convenience store right now. He's 16. He's a junior in high school. And uh, he came home from work on Friday night and said, Hey, Dad, is McMurray in town this weekend? And I'm confused because my immediate thought, of course, is the Texas one. It's not the Illinois one. And I'm thinking, what in what sport would McMurray be playing up here at, at the end of September? And then he said, no, 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 Dad, the one in Illinois. This is, this is the kid who knows that there's more than one McMurray and knows the difference between the two spellings also. He had a bunch of uh, McMurray football players in his convenience store. They were in town this weekend to play Northwestern, and they were staying in a hotel that was uh, about five blocks away from the store. And uh, he was able to uh, identify a couple of kids who had, uh, who had you know, bought five-hour energy or some kind of energy drink or whatever um, when I uh, pulled names up in a lineup for him and photos and that sort of thing. It's just, this is like the only convenience store I think that you could walk into and have a teenage guy behind the register recognize who you are and understand why you might be there. Yeah, absolutely. Like father, like son. I have memories of being on a road trip and decked out in our yellow jacket gear and someone asking us, were we the Georgia Tech soccer team? Which I was like, man, that, that kind of hurts your ego. <laughs> oh, man, Division One soccer players. Yeah, I mean, it depends on uh, if, you're a, if you're a defensive lineman, obviously, you're not going to like that comparison. But maybe as, a, maybe as a safety, that might be okay? Yeah, I guess you're right. In any case, we got over it. The play that decides the game. Storm going for two. Krieger in the shotgun, fakes the handoff, keeps it. No, it's a wide receiver pass. They do the Philly special. Kai Krieger in the end zone. The two-point conversion is good. The Storm win it on the Philly special. 37 to 36. Two points needed for Dennison. The roll, he'll flip it out. And it's caught. And we're going to a fourth overtime here at Deeds Field. 60 to 60. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, where we're in our 12th season of podcasting, our 20th season covering NCAA Division III football. We welcome you to podcast number 208, where we will talk about week five of the 2018 Division Three football season, the edition for October 1st, 2018, the end of September. And what a September it was. We end the month with five teams at 5-0, 23 4-0 teams, and six teams at 3-0. And then on the flip side, we have 10 teams at 0-5 through five weeks, and we'll spare you the numbers on the rest of the futility, but uh, I'm D3Football.com Executive Editor Pat Coleman. And I'm Keith McMillan, or the Jay Kennedy to Pat's Kane and Gabley. Yeah, and Keith, one week after Center decided not to go for two in regulation and lost in overtime, two key games turned on successful two-point conversions, and one marathon ended in a two-point conversion as well. What do you think, Keith? Should we go for two ourselves? Let's do it. Rolling right. Throws the pass. He's got it. Tanner Clark. With a two-point conversion, Marietta takes the lead. Oh, my. Couldn't have drawn that up any better. 
Fields got under center for only the third time in this game. And Clark came out of the backfield on a swing round, hit him at the one-yard line, and Clark went untouched into the end zone for the two-point conversion. He'll roll, he's gonna keep it himself, and he dives, and he's in, and that'll do it. Wittenberg wins in what was an absolutely crazy game. Went four overtime periods. Final score, 68-66. Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, where we're in our 12th season of podcasting and our 20th season of covering Division Three football. We welcome you to podcast number 208, where we will talk about week five of the 2018 Division Three football season, the edition for October 1, 2018. It's the end of September, and what a September it was. We end the month with five 5-0 teams, 23 teams at 4-0, and six teams at 3-0. And on the flip side, we have 10 teams at 0-5 through five weeks, and We'll spare you the numbers on the rest of the utility. But I'm Pat Coleman, the uh, D3Football.com executive editor. And I'm Keith McMillan, or the Zach Queen to Pat's famous hasty. All right, you get the picture, right? Uh, Marietta remained undefeated, knocked off Ohio Northern on a two-point conversion with 22 seconds left. Simpson won at Wartburg on a two-point conversion in overtime, and it sure looked to me like he got a foot down. And Wittenberg wouldn't go for two unless it absolutely had no choice, but that was what finally ended that four-overtime marathon with Dennison. Plus, in week five, the little brass bell went back home with the team it came with. Nobody was trapping Mary Harden, Baylor, Harden, Simmons. UW-Whitewater just wore UW-Lacrosse out. And maybe, just maybe, the streak is in play this year. Keith, where are we going to start? I don't know. It's, a, it's maybe the best week of football that we've covered in all our time here, Pat. It had a little bit of everything, not just the two-point conversions, although those were probably the most exciting. You had the overtime games. You had the upsets. You had the, the big matchups between ranked teams and rivalries. So, I mean, we might as well start at the top with the rivalry game because it was a little bit of everything. Didn't have the, the two-point conversions necessarily, but certainly uh, a surprise with, with Wheaton putting the beatdown on, uh, on North Central. Right. Didn't have the two-point conversion to decide the game because it didn't need it as uh, Wheaton won 52 to 30. You know, it's not that long ago, Keith, that, uh, you know, Wheaton was – just uh, in a in a funk. I don't know if you in a funk if they'd ever gotten out of a funk to start the season. Basically, they couldn't do diddly poo on offense two weeks ago against Illinois Wesleyan to the tune of 188 yards in that game. Last week, of course, they crushed Milliken 63-6. Uh, the running back by committee was super effective on Saturday night for sure, with uh, Jacob Creighton getting the call for 16 carries and 144 yards. But you watched more of this game than I did, so I want to hear your take rather than me just reciting numbers. I mean, I just thought. It, it, wasn't even Wheaton doing anything special. They were just uh, you know, running over and running past North Central players. They had three plays, uh, two in the first half and one very early, uh, really at the start of the third quarter, of uh, longer than 75 yards that went for touchdowns. And then they also had a 13-play drive that went for touchdowns. And sort of every time North Central put together some momentum and looked like they were about to make it a game, Wheaton would come back with a big play and, and keep the distance between them. And I, I just think when you, you go back to last season when, remember, this was a tight game. They had a lightning delay. They couldn't finish the game until Monday. And then Wheaton came out and, and blew the doors off North Central on, on Monday. And then I, I'm pretty sure maybe, maybe it was two years ago or three years ago, the teams met in the playoffs and we thought North Central was favored and, and Wheaton ended up beating them. I just think for, for right now in that, in that rivalry, 
Wheaton really gets up for the North Central game, plays really well against them. And I don't want to say they're in their heads or they own them or anything, but they played really well on Saturday night. I still love this rivalry. It was the 100th game that it was played. They've only had the bell for the last 60-plus years or so as the uh, the trophy for this rivalry. But, uh, again, a fantastic game, uh, one of those uh, rivalry games that you and I sought out to go see back 13-some years ago, something like that. long time ago we uh, sought that out and, uh, and had a lot of fun at it. And uh, I kind of like that this one comes in the middle of the season, even though uh, I love, like I said last week, to have rivalry games a little bit later in the year. Well, this season has been doing a good job of spreading them out. So every week you get at least one or two rivalry games, and they'll start to pick up more and more uh, as we get later in the season. Obviously, you'll get the Tommy Johnny game in week seven, and then by the time you get to week 10 and 11, you'll have all the great rivalries. But uh, this one, I mean... Did you talk about Curtis McWilliams, how well he played at quarterback, 22-27 for 347 yards, two scores. Uh, Jalen Goldsmith, who was part of the running back rotation, had that 75-yard touchdown run. And uh, Wheaton was was good on defense, able to get off the field uh, occasionally when big third downs popped up. And I thought really just played so well, you wonder how this team was the same team that was was on the field a couple weeks ago against Illinois Wesleyan. Yeah, don't have an answer to that. Um, and we will talk later in this podcast about uh, where the teams are relative to each other in the top 25. I know that's a, that's a topic of conversation that uh, Keith and I will have coming up in a little bit. Uh, I want to talk about Linfield, Keith. Uh, Linfield lost 1914 at Whitworth on Saturday, first time since 2007 that Whitworth had beaten Linfield. And I just kind of wonder through the first few weeks of the season now, you know, Linfield is one and two, and just maybe the streak is in question. And that's, of course, the streak of consecutive winning seasons that uh, Linfield has. They've won, uh, they've had a winning record for 62 consecutive years. Uh, Wildcats need to go four and two the rest of the way to finish five and four and extend that uh, streak. Of course, they can still win the Northwest Conference mathematically, but, uh, you know, not playing like this, not putting up 14 points a game and, and seven of them in basically garbage time with 12 seconds to go. Yeah, it was a 19-7 game as, as it came down the stretch. So, you know, for, for some people who voted in the poll, they saw 19-14 and may have thought it was close. It wasn't quite that close. Uh, Linfield really struggling on offense. Even the, the one game they won um, against Redlands, it was a 13-0 game, and they got a, a really standout defensive performance that in that one, but uh, struggling with turnovers. Um, and and you, you wonder, you know, it's certainly not all on one guy, but, but Wyatt Smith, who emerged late last season uh, as a freshman, as a, as a quarterback that Linfield could, could get behind and build around for the future, coach's son, you know, the, the longer that offense struggles, the more awkward that gets with uh, that, that situation there. And you really, obviously, as a team, I think they, they want to get things turned around sooner rather than later. And the good thing is Whitworth is, is probably their, their toughest conference opponent right now. So that game's out of the way and they have an opportunity to, to get things straightened out. Yeah, I do think the streak is safe, but uh, this loss by Linfield, win by Whitworth, whatever your perspective is on it, is definitely going to give other Northwest Conference teams a lot more confidence going against the Wildcats the rest of the season. Two scholars rock fresh, north by northwest, and it's still no rest because we're not finished yet. Hey, I haven't seen the chart this season, but I believe 
at one point on the chart, there was like Florida, the all divisions chart, like it was Florida State and, and Notre Dame weren't too far behind Linfield. They've each um, in the past, at least since we've been doing this, have had losing seasons. So at one point, the distance was like 20 seasons between Linfield and Mount Union. And Mount Union was in the low 40s last time I looked. So we we can maybe uh, check it and update it. I had it up earlier this uh, earlier tonight because I wanted to check that as well. Florida State. Uh, did have a winning season last year, right? They finished seven and six. They held on to this streak by the skin of their teeth. So they've got 41 consecutive wins, and it's Mount Union at 38. And uh, you know that is, uh, as you said, a pretty big gap. Harden Simmons, Mary Harden Baylor. They meet this week. There's a lot of really good games this week. As good as last week's games were in reality, once they were actually played, this week's games on paper look really good. And uh, those, of course, those teams meet each other coming up. No possibility of a trap game, though, for them. As a, let's see, Mary Harden Baylor, all they did was uh, beat Southwestern 77 to 7. And uh, Harden Simmons didn't have any trouble with East Texas Baptist either. 59 17, the final in that one. Uh, and, and that looked like it was going to be a matchup of two really high-powered offenses. And, and Harden-Simmons lost Jaquan Hemphill to an upper body injury early in the game. Um, they're not sure if he's going to be back for the Mary Harden-Baylor game this week. But um didn't matter. They went to Zai Smith, he, and, and they got a great performance uh, in the passing game from Reese Childress. And really right now, uh, Harden-Simmons... Hitting on all cylinders offensively, and I, I hate to use that cliche, but it's such a um, it's so appropriate right now for them. Uh, the Cowboys' number one offense in the country. You, you contrast that with Mary Harden Baylor coming off a game which in which it scored seventy seven, um, in which it's it's still working out its quarterback rotation, but they've got a game with seventy seven, a game with ninety one to their credit already this season. It will likely be a much different game. Um, on Saturday, a lot of times those Mary Harden-Baylor, Harden-Simmons games end up being fairly low scoring and, and pretty tight battles. But um, this one coming in with two high-powered offense. Muhlenberg defeated Franklin and Marshall 42-21 on Saturday. Keith, when I was thinking about Muhlenberg coming into the season, one of my uh, immediate thoughts was, you know, these guys aren't playing their non-conference game until week seven when they're at Thomas Moore. So they're starting the season a little bit behind the eight ball. They start with uh, Susquehanna in their second game, Franklin and Marshall in their fourth game. And even though, you know, we have seen Muhlenberg over the course of the last several years be right there in the conference race, either seven and two or eight and the one, eight and one, you know, what is that seven times in the last eight years? I thought that maybe this would be the year where they get off to a rough start and don't do that. And uh, yeah, they uh, they did the, exactly the opposite of that. They are standing at 4-0 right now. Yeah, and after Saturday's results, they're in control of their own destiny in the Centennial Conference, given that Johns Hopkins lost a game a few weeks ago to Susquehanna, then turned around and, and beat Ursinus 52-6 on Saturday. Couple that with Muhlenberg's win over Franklin and Marshall, and suddenly Muhlenberg right now is the team at the top of that pack. Uh, it certainly looks like that's going to be a, you know, I don't think any team's going to run away with the, the centennial, but for, for Muhlenberg. Kind of a feel good story, too, because of, uh, because of what happened with Mike Donnelly. And, um, and uh, Adam Turr wrote, wrote about that a little bit on Sunday in Read and React. Yeah, exactly. Not much more that we need to say about that. Uh, UW-Whitewater winning at UW-Lacrosse. 
Keith, when I tuned out of this to go to other games, it was 10 to 3 going into the fourth quarter. Or no, sorry, 10 to 7 going into the fourth quarter. And I guess I missed all the offense for Whitewater. Well, what's interesting is I picked it up probably not long after you did. And it was, um, they were up by two scores. And, and then all of a sudden it was 30 to 7. So um, they, Whitewater's done this three times now. And it's very reminiscent of some of the old Whitewater teams where they sort of, choke the life out of their opponent and it looks like a close game and it maybe feels closer than it is and in the fourth quarter they just wear a team down put a couple touchdowns put a little distance between them and their opponents i think right now they uh they're they're adequate offensively and they really stand out on defense did we mention there's some big games coming up this weekend they'll be facing uh oshkosh coming up on saturday so not uh that's that's just the first step of many in conference play for Whitewater and for that matter for Oshkosh. Uh, before we go to break, I wanted to talk about something that happened last week in uh, week four games. Uh, Justice Edwards for Barry had the, the head injury in the game at center. If you were watching, because uh, it was uh, one of those games that was close and late, right? Uh, late at night. So he had a head injury. They stopped the game. He was taken off uh, on a stretcher, et cetera, et cetera. You know, he underwent surgery, and he is now in recovery back near his home in Alabama. Uh, reportedly was able to sit up on his own on Saturday. So he's improving, and uh, he's keeping a positive attitude. Keith, I know that the, uh, the team had a, a FaceTime conversation with him before their game. Uh, and after the game, and he wears number 14. They had his number 14 on the sidelines. And by the way, uh, in this week's poll, Barry is ranked number 14 now. That's interesting. I was moved by seeing the photos of Barry uh, with his jersey with them wherever they went on Saturday, whether it was when they went out for the coin toss or when good things were happening in that game. They, they won uh, very handily against Austin. It was a home game. And... Uh, you know, injuries are one of the, the, the tough parts of our game, but sometimes teams really do uh, rally around a player and, uh, and in the community when that happens. And it's, uh, it's I guess, a, a silver lining is maybe the best way you can say, like, you, you, you do see how much of a bond football really, uh, really sometimes breeds. If you are interested in contributing to his medical expenses, there's a GoFundMe out there. More than $17,500 has been raised as of the time that we're recording this on Sunday night. So uh, look, just search for Justice Edwards and GoFundMe. Justice is spelled J-U-S-T-U-S. I'd like to take this time to mention that the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is currently sponsored by Nobody. You could be reaching an audience full of decision makers in Division Three football, coaches and administrators who can influence decisions to purchase new equipment or replace turf or put in video boards, all sorts of things by sponsoring the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Keith and I would be waxing poetic about your product right here or in reality, probably about 10 minutes earlier than now, uh, right before we go to break. So think about that. Drop us an email at pat.coleman at d3sports.com. We've got a good amount of listenership, and it's only going to get higher as we get from now till the end of the regular season. And with two podcasts a week, people are listening, which is good because Keith and I are spending an awful lot of time this month, this season, podcasting. So we really appreciate that people are actually tuning in for it. You should reach them by sponsoring this podcast. We're going to keep going for two here the rest of this podcast, so we're definitely going for two on game balls. And I'm going to give mine to Jake Kennedy and Kanan Gabley. 
Obviously, when you play four additional possessions from the 25-yard line, you have the chance to get uh, that extra 100 yards of total offense and a few scores. And these two, and these are the guys who quarterback Wittenberg and Dennison, definitely did not disappoint on Saturday. Kennedy threw for seven touchdowns, and Gabley threw for two touchdowns and ran for five more. Gabley, who is in his fourth year as a starter for Dennison, has rushed for more than 2,000 career yards and thrown for 63-49 yards for the Big Red, while Kennedy was 31 for 43 passing and got the game-clinching two-point conversion as well. Pronunciation 101. Bunavistic. Monon Bell. Bunavistic. Muhlenberg. Gallardi. German Ariel. Her sign is Gabley. Yeah, that's how you pronounce Gabley. I'm glad you had to do the pronunciation. Hey, don't forget the seven touchdown catches by Wittenberg's Jeff Tiffner and, and Thad Snodgrass. With all due respect to the huge offensive days from Wheaton, 583 yards, and Harden-Simmons, which had 570. Those are my original game balls. I'm going to highlight a couple of dominating defenses who we might be talking about well into December. St. Thomas in Saturday's fourth quarter against Concordia Moorhead gave up its first touchdown since the first quarter of the first game. The Tommies have given up just those 14 points and four wins and average 113 yards of offense allowed per game, which makes Wally Kaczynski's unit statistically the nation's best. But if I'm going for two game balls, the second goes to another gang of purple people eaters. UW-Whitewater limited UW-Lacrosse to 158 yards, 1.7 yards per carry, and 2 of 14 on third down in another defensive performance reminiscent of the old Warhawks. UW-Dub suffocated the same Eagles team that beat Illinois Wesleyan, that beat Wheaton, that thumped North Central on Saturday. And for doing it with defense... Ranked fourth nationally behind St. Thomas, Brockport, and Salisbury, the Warhawks get game ball number two. You will get spared the Flying Purple People Eaters music clip. We're not going to give you that one today. We'll, we'll spare you that. We will rise. We will rise. We will rise. Team on the rise. My two teams on the rise, in fact, of course, because we're going for two. They're UW Oshkosh and UW Whitewater. These are each teams which got off to nice starts in conference play on Saturday after leaving some questions unanswered in non-conference action. And then we get to see uh, whether they can continue to answer those questions against each other this Saturday. My number one riser is Case Western Reserve. I wasn't voting for them coming in, but the 35-14 win over a pretty good Westminster team forced me to take notice. Justin Fan is still doing damage. He had 10 catches for 128 yards and two touchdowns on Saturday. And quarterback Drew Saxton is a name we'll have to get to know nationally. Case Western Reserve, they're now 4-0. They're at Washington Jefferson uh, next Saturday. And that's one of the huge games on that big slate we got coming up. We'll deal with all that on the Friday pod. My second riser, though, is Illinois Wesleyan by way of Wheaton. Our overall poll has it wrong. They got the Titans at 18 and Wheaton at 13. Sure, the Titans have the loss to UW Lacrosse and Wheaton Womp North Central, but there's a head-to-head result. It's not even that long ago. It doesn't make sense. Now, if you strictly adhere to head-to-head, then you're obligated to put Lacrosse ahead of Illinois Wesleyan, and it can get confusing doing your ballot there. But it's not like that. That Titans Thunder result was 10 weeks ago. Anyway, on my ballot. The Titans and John Carroll floated up into the spots that were vacated by Linfield and North Central. Yeah, voters just aren't going to fly Illinois Wesleyan up eight spots based on something Wheaton did. I'm just not sure that's really feasible. Illinois Wesleyan pulls up a little bit, and that's going to cause consternation among Case Western Reserve fans for sure. 
But I'm just not sure that there's a rock-solid correct order for those teams because of UW Lacrosse. I mean, I'm assuming you didn't put UW Lacrosse ahead of Illinois Wesleyan based on what you said. I did not. Yeah, so I have Wheaton, Lacrosse, Illinois Wesleyan, and North Central literally 12, 13, 14, 15 on my ballot to signify how close this group needs to be. And that requires, on my ballot, Whitewater and Lacrosse being just five spots apart, which is also a bit of a literalist problem. Yeah, I just think you know you're going to have Titans out there looking at this poll saying, uh, how, how are we five spots below a team we beat two, three weeks ago? I'll be interested to see what the coaches poll says on this, too. I don't think that'll be too much different. I'm somewhere between a literalist and a what have you done for me lately voter. My two teams that will take a fall this week. That wasn't flying. That was falling with style. Are North Central and Concordia Moorhead. Uh, Starting with North Central, usually I don't know that we'd see a team fall 12 spots for losing to a team that's in the top 25. But North Central went from 5 to 17, while Wheaton went from 21 to 13. I feel like North Central fell at least one spot too far, at least for my taste. Uh, Concordia Moorhead, down from six votes to one. Usually this is not a conversation you and I would even have, except that I think that that's just the distance between St. Thomas and the third-place team in the MIAC, except that I think the third-best team in that conference might be somebody who isn't getting any votes right now. Mm. Well, as for teams that'll take a fall, let's discuss Wittenberg. That wasn't flying. That was falling with style. The Tigers won the game on Saturday. They took every shot Denison had to dish out. They blew a lead. They, they fell behind. They converted fourth downs in overtime. They found a way to win. But there's a difference between 68-66 and 35-14. So we have to factor that in. And I don't think it necessarily means Wittenberg rises or holds its spot on ballots. I'm not saying they have to fall either. But in a game that very well could have been a loss, I think voters have to evaluate all the other teams in the same tier, whether that's the upper teens Wittenberg was 14th overall last week, or if you have them in the 20s or elsewhere, and see if someone around that same area has shown you more over the course of the season now that we've got five weeks to factor in. For my number two team taking a fall, uh, I have Linfield. I can't remember a time when the, the Wildcats flat weren't on my top 25 ballot, but they don't have a much of a case right now for a vote beyond name recognition. Whitworth, which is now in my top 25, essentially held them to seven, a continuation of that Wildcats struggle to score that we talked about earlier. I don't think the winning season streak is actually in danger, but they'll have to get their offense together, starting with uh, the quarterback issue. Yeah, whether that's Wyatt Smith or somebody else. On Wittenberg, man, I I am right with you. I appreciate uh, you saying that. We talk about uh, voters who recognize good losses by moving a team up. Uh, Similarly, I think about the concept of a... uh, A bad win sounds bad. Coaches aren't going to like to hear that. But I think you've talked on this podcast before, possibly as recently as last week, uh, about the fact that, you know, with only 10 games in a regular season, you really need to dominate the teams that you're supposed to dominate in order to try to stay stay even in a poll or tread water in a poll. We've got, as we've said many, many times, now there's 250 teams in Division Three and only 25 spots in the top 25. It's literally twice as hard to get into our top 25 as it is to get into the FBS top 25. Yeah, and I think it's it's okay to, to win some games close. Every team will have a game um, where it doesn't necessarily play its best game. If teams were totally consistent, we wouldn't have had that conversation that we just had about Wheaton and Illinois Wesleyan and lacrosse, right? Like every, every season – Every team is not exactly the same, but you're also, as a voter, judging these teams against what everyone else has done the most recent week 
but also what they've done over the course of entire season. So if you, you have a team that won, but they gave up 66 points, and you're looking at a, another team that won by 10 or 20 or 30 and has been doing that week to week to week, then you know maybe, in essence, it causes Wittenberg to drop a couple spots on your ballot, even though that may not be punishment necessarily for winning, right? Because you don't punish teams for winning. You're just constantly reevaluating what you know, uh, given the new information. My off-the-beaten-path highlight for this week is Susquehanna going to overtime once again. We talked about them previously for having lost in two consecutive overtime games. Well, they got to the extra session again, and this week it was pretty quick and simple as the Riverhawks shut Dickinson down and then scored on the second play of their possession to win 30-24 in just one single overtime. The NCAA doesn't track a record for consecutive overtime games played in Division Three football, but three is a pretty good number. And since we're going for two, my second off-the-beaten-path highlight is Greenville beating Westminster of Missouri 24-20. Greenville hit the crossbar in a chip-shot field goal with 4.47 to go. That was a kick that would have tied the game at 20-20. But Westminster couldn't move the chains. Greenville had another shot, driving 52 yards for the game-winning touchdown with 38 seconds left. Can we have a copy editor aside? Whenever I write something was tied, I just say the score one time, right, because it's tied at 20. It's by... By saying it's tied, it's implied that it was twenty to twenty. Yeah, I know. I, I feel like um, I feel like this is a broadcast venue, and every once in a while, it's okay to be a little more informal and help people by saying it twice. I don't know. I get it. I totally get it. I noticed that you do it. I thought someone had beaten that into you at some stop along the way, where a score has two scores, and you can't have like one score. Anyway. We've, uh, we've gotten off the beaten path, and for, for my off the beaten path highlight, again, this was one of the all-time great weeks with the two-point conversions, the overtimes, the top 25 upsets, and we still have plenty of off the beaten path highlights to get to. I had to narrow my list down from like 10 to these two. Uh, quickly, in the Key City Classic, Dubuque went cross town to, to face Loris, and uh, they won 49-42. They won on a 50-yard fumble recovery touchdown with 50 seconds left. There were a bunch of lead changes in that one. But how many times do you see a rivalry game end on a fumble, recover, fumble return for a touchdown? Like there are millions of ways for games to end. You, you rarely see that one. I thought that was an outstanding finish for the off-the-beaten-path highlights. And I also liked Wisconsin Lutheran and uh, Rockford. They, Wisconsin Lutheran won that one in overtime. Each team kicked a field goal in regulation in the final minute 15. And then uh, Rockford missed its opportunity wide left from 33. In overtime, Wisconsin Lutheran kicked its field goal, excuse me, scored a touchdown, won the game, and that won the first win of the season for the Warriors. I mean, have we ever gone? I mean, this is about as far off the beaten path as we can get. I feel like Wisconsin Lutheran is one of those teams we almost never talk about. I bet you're right. Usually, also, knack highlights are kind of my territory. That's true. It's very true. Up to most surprising results, and my most surprising result is Methodist having its way with Huntington, where the 48-34 final makes it seem a lot closer than it actually was. Methodist was up 41-13 in the fourth quarter before Huntington put up some points to make it look a little closer. Huntington had beaten Methodist by an average of 49-9 to the past three years. And uh, going for two, I'm going to talk about how Wesley struggled with Southern Virginia. Southern Virginia does appear to be playing pretty well defensively, uh, week one at Christopher Newport aside. But uh, perhaps Wesley, which won 28-7, was intentionally keeping it a little vanilla, knowing Frostburg State was probably there in person scouting the Wolverines in anticipation of next week's matchup. Keith, I don't know if you were aware, but Frostburg State had a bye on Saturday. 
Hmm. Feels like they keep uh, they like play every other week. For my most surprising result, there are actually a ridiculous number of candidates, and I won't go through all of them. But we had semi-surprising winners like Sawani beating Hendricks. We had surprisingly big margins like the, that Harden Simmons 59-14 or 59-17 win over East Texas Baptist. The margin in St. Thomas and Concordia Moorhead 46-7 was was a stunner. Christopher Newport 39-6 over Rowan, and then we had surprisingly small margins. Like Washington Jefferson only beating Bethany by seven, uh, Illinois Wesleyan beating Carroll by a couple of touchdowns, and uh, if I have to narrow it down to two, I'll, I'll take two conferences: the ODAC doing what the ODAC does. Bridgewater beat Guilford. Remember, Guilford had scored a ton of points back in Week One. They did it again in that that big loss to to Davidson Week Two. You figured when they start playing some more teams their own size, so to speak. They would, uh, they would still be scoring like mad. Well, Bridgewater, one of the uh, lower-tier teams right now in the ODAC, beat them 30-28. to 28. Meantime, Randolph-Macon at the top of the ODAC, upset WNL 23-7, held that offense, that high-powered general's offense, to, uh, to under 200 yards. So uh, the ODAC doing what the ODAC does. And I thought the, uh, the, the NESCAC results were interesting, too. Hamilton, which... Uh, when Dave Murray left Alfred, that was a, that was a playoff level team, and and sometimes coaches make moves that don't necessarily make sense for, um, you know, like in power rankings, like oh, why would you move from a from a Empire Eight, which is a, a great um, conference, to a to you know what's doesn't even participate in the playoffs, but coaches move for their own reasons. And Hamilton had really struggled to get some traction. Them beating Wesley in 33-29 on Saturday, coupled with Williams beating Trinity uh, 21-16, I thought was uh, now that conference is, is upended too. So those are my two. And uh, and if I get to stick one more in there, how about Oshkosh and hampton Sydney discovering their offense? Keith, go, Keith goes for three or seven. I'm not really sure what kind of conversion that was there, but uh, we'll check the conversion chart on that and uh, get back to you on that. For stat of the week, Martin Luther defeated St. Scholastica for the first time since 2010, and they did it with a school record 477 yards rushing. Joshua Kren ran for 197 yards, and Austin Denoyer added 178. Uh, and going for two, I have to highlight the Brockport defense, which puts the fling and stifling. No, maybe it puts the stiff and stifling. That probably makes more sense. Anyway, teams are averaging minus five yards per game rushing against the Golden Eagles so far this season, thanks in large part to this week's win against St. John Fisher, in which the Cardinals rushed for minus 51. I'd call those mad numbers, but if I remember correctly, that's not really the side of the ball that that term refers to. Dang, that was going to be one of my stats of the week, too, the Brockport one. Of all the stats out there across 116 games and 250 teams, what are the chances? Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. Well, in honor of our theme this week, guess which team has the most two-point conversions this season? I, never, I could go through 200 teams alphabetically and never get to this one. Yeah, you'll never guess. Uh, it's Worcester State. They have six two-point conversions and just four traditional points after on 13 touchdowns. The only team in the country to have more twos than ones after its touchdowns. In fact, the uh, fellow MASCAC mate, Fitchburg State, has four. They're the only other team with more than three two-point conversion attempts that, uh, that were converted successfully. And in honor of our other theme for the podcast this week, there were seven games across Division Three that went to overtime, almost half of the total 19 so far this season. According to the NCAA stats, Dennison Wittenberg was the longest with four overtimes and one of only four of those 19 to need multiple overtimes to sort out. 
So if you're a Susquehanna fan, you have uh, a, a little less than one-sixth of all the uh, total overtime games so far this season. I was told there would be no math. I, had told, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast before. I get most of my decimals and fractions and stuff from reading baseball standings in the newspaper at the beginning of the season when I was a kid. We are dorking out so hard on this podcast. So I always knew that uh, a team that was 1-5 in five had a 167 winning percentage. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, I also know that uh, 5 of 6 is 83%. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, there are certain conversions that you know from sports because they come up uh, often enough. Your categories have become tiresome. Now's the time on Sprockets where we dance. Now is the time of the podcast where we go to Twitter and we go to Max, uh, who is at msella underscore 41. What do you think the chances are Springfield gets the one pool B bid this year, assuming they finish nine and one? Okay, so if you assume they finish nine and one, then that uh, eliminates uh, the possibility that uh, MIT runs the table and, and stuff like that. So that helps uh, this conversation. I think we have to assume the best possible scenario right now for Thomas Moore in order to really make this scenario work. So that's a Thomas Moore that's nine and one with a loss to North Carolina Wesleyan. Keith, I know um, Pool B and Pool C math is a little early on in the season for this, but I uh, I actually looked at strength of schedule as it's uh, played out so far, and I had expected there to be a significant difference between Springfield and Thomas Moore, and there was Springfield's strength of schedule. Springfield's strength of schedule is actually pretty high right now, and it could continue to uh, be that way. They still have some of the uh, better teams in their conference left. Thomas Moore is on this kind of barnstorming tour, as we've talked about before. Their strength of schedule right now is only at about 500, but they could get a boost. They'll definitely get a boost from St. John's. They could get a boost from St. Scholastica. Uh, they have a lot of games left. It's going to be really interesting how that whittles down and those two teams went their way because if they are both one loss teams on selection Sunday they're going to provide the committee with two completely different resumes I mean you have to imagine if Thomas Moore with a schedule that includes Muhlenberg that includes St. John's if they're nine and one and Springfield is nine and one that that Thomas Moore is going to have wins over regionally ranked opponents and that sort of thing but to be honest Assuming Springfield is 9-1 and one seems like kind of a big assumption when you go back a couple weeks, you look at that being a team that lost 45-10 to Union. I think we're getting, a, we're getting a little bit far down the road, and I know Springfield was 10-0 and last season, but it, it's going to be a fight for that one Pool B bid. Luckily, it's pretty simple to follow. You got the MassCAC, you got Thomas Moore, so pretty much everyone who, I'm not the MassCAC, the NUMAC, uh, everyone just needs to follow that one conference and keep an eye on Thomas Moore. And it may be an eight and two team. Yeah, it, it may be a, a nine and one team, but the, the easy thing is Thomas Moore is probably going to finish with a, with a much better strength of schedule than, than they have right now. So keep that in mind. Don't forget. You can uh, hit us up on Twitter on uh, Sunday evenings and uh, maybe we'll take your question. We'll also throw out a reminder for you there to get in there. Keith, I've been thinking all along about this crazy week that we've got coming up. Uh, we're not going to get too deep into this right now. We've got a Friday podcast where we will, but 
just to run down some of the games, right? We've got seventh ranked Harden Simmons at number two, Mary Harden Baylor. We've got number five, Frostburg State at number six, Wesley. We've got number nine, St. John's at Bethel. Bethel's undefeated. Tenth ranked UW Oshkosh at number eight, UW Whitewater. Number 19, Case Western Reserve at number 12, WJ. Number 20, RPI at number 23, Ithaca. And, you know, also some key games not involving ranked teams. Week six is going to be pretty awesome. Yeah, it is, although it's got a lot to we live up to following week five. And speaking of which, we mentioned the, the two-point conversions at the top of the show, but um, we probably should talk about them a little bit, uh, a little bit more in depth really quickly. If you if you want a chance to just check out how they both how all of them shake out shook out shaked shook out on video done shook um, done shook and I like it um, uh, I retweeted video from the Marietta two point conversion and the uh, Simpson one and I'll, uh, I'll I'll go find the Wittenberg I'm sure that's somewhere as well um, the Simpson one was uh, they called it Philly special it was, I guess it wasn't Philly special proper because it wasn't a direct snap. To the running back, the, the quarterback took the handoff, handed to a back, and then and then uh, flipped it to a back, coming the other way, threw it to to a quarterback, and uh, was much more contested than than you've seen the other Philly specials that have been run in the NFL. Um, and, and the video angle that that was retweeted is is uh, sideline from from the you know someone standing right there so it's hard to see where the feet are but uh it does as you mentioned earlier in the podcast look like the catch is is good catching and uh we i mean as as viewers we love to see teams go for it um but it doesn't always work out great but in, in that case it did and it worked out great at marietta too and that was another game where um playing ohio northern a team that generally is regarded a, a cut above in the uh, in the OAC, so this is a big deal for Marietta to to beat someone that that's more highly regarded. Um, had to convert a fourth down on that drive late in the game. They score and they could have kicked it. They're at home, you know. Whatever the conventional wisdom says, you know, you play um, whatever. You, you kick you, you play overtime at home and you kick go for it on the road. Well, Marietta decided to go for it, and I've never seen this before, but. In the in the post game, the explanation was this: they, they felt like the two point play had a 75 to 80 percent chance of working, and they had a 50 50 shot in overtime. So we were told there would be no math, but there it is again. Uh, the play did work, and uh, you'll see the, the set off a pretty huge celebration uh, on the gray field, which is cool. And then uh, and then the other one. What do, you, what, do you, what do you say about an overtime, four-overtime game? You know, they, they just kept going back and forth, Wittenberg and Denison. Uh, every time one would score, the other would score, they went for two. It, you know, sometimes the overtime games get a little boring when it turns into a field goal fest and team one team misses a field goal, another team misses a field goal. The Wittenberg-Denison game was just score after score after score after score. And the play that wins it is a diving for the pylon. Can't quite tell if he's in, but the pylon got, gets knocked over, so... Clearly, he scored, and uh, and the road team celebrates. And you heard all of those highlights back in our uh, uh, back at the beginning of the podcast, where we re-ran the open. Then you got to hear all four of them. That's totally the reason why we groundhog dayed you on the uh, on the intro there. 
I was watching the uh, Stevenson-Delaware Valley game, tracking it early. Stevenson, of course, got out to the uh, 17-0 lead, got a lot of attention about that. And then I tuned back in later in the game when it's close again, see that uh, Dan Williams is no longer under center. I was wondering if it was a quarterback switch, if they had uh, made an intentional decision because uh, the offense had gone stale or something like that. It was not that. It was that Dan Williams had gotten hurt. So uh, we'll have to keep an eye on what his availability is going forward. I guess I don't get a tweet from Millsaps this week. Um, Rhodes upset uh, or handed handed the majors their first loss, uh, but the team I, I did pick to lose, I guess I have to uh, I guess I have to order a, a Case Western Reserve hat for Friday's quick hits. Yeah, is that a thing now? You're just gonna wear new hats in the uh, in in quick hits. I just did the Millsaps one because I had it in my closet from our trip down there in maybe 2003. But, uh, but yeah, if I had 250 hats, that'd be kind of a lot. I think we should probably just do a hat day at some point on uh, on Quick Hit, so that would be fun. Keith, this was the week that uh, Louisiana College played at Sol Ross State, and that's the bus trip that we'd always talked about embedding a reporter on. 750 miles, more than 11 hours, one way by bus. It wasn't quite as long for Hudson to get to SUNY Maritime, but we do have audio about that trip. Here's in the huddles Frank Rossi chatting with Hudson head coach Gabby Price. How long's the trip back home? I think it took us like seven hours to get down here, and there'll be a lot more joyous on the way down. We don't talk on the way down, but on the way back, they'll actually they'll probably be exhausted. We'll watch some movies, and we watched Long Lone Survivor on one of the buses, and <laughs> well, I think we all were crying at the end of it. But it's what it is, Division Three. We travel a lot. SUNY was up there last year, so it's reciprocal. And, these things happen, Frank. Well, it was such a good week. We barely even mentioned some of the, the teams that we've um, highlighted in previous podcasts. FDU Florham kept on winning. Misericordia, another win. Dean, a relatively new program. They all won. But uh, meantime, the struggles continue at Finlandia. Olivet beat the Lions 72-7. They went 16 for 17 passing, and they ran for more than 17 yards per carry. So not all the hard luck stories are happy stories. No, but at least Finlandia has a conference and a conference schedule. I guess that's the uh, that's the bright side for Finlandia this week. Nick Petros had a strong all-around day for Moravian in a 59-23 win versus Gettysburg. He's a starting wide receiver, six catches for 241 yards and four receiving touchdowns for the Bulldogs in that game. Uh, he's also the holder, and he participated in an 8-for-8 day on extra points, plus a field goal. Uh, he's the punter, and he was called on in that capacity four times. Plus, he returned three kickoffs. Pretty busy week for sophomore Nick Petros. You want another reminder of what a great week this was, week five? These games barely merit a mention on the pod. Lake Forest had their tying point after block. They lost 28-27 to McAllister. Bellhaven beat Howard Payne 20-19. Milliken 28-27 over Augustana. Augustana blew a two-touchdown lead in that one. Kalamazoo 31-30 over Adrian, despite the Bulldogs outgaining them 538-355. A late missed point after made the difference. Albion's now 4-0 with a 37-34 win over Alma in two overtimes. Uh, Eureka beat Aurora by field goal. McMurray 15-13 over Northwestern. We talked about the Marietta one-point win over Ohio Northern. Franklin beat Rose Holman by three. And Sewanee beat Hendricks by a touchdown. By the way, the Division Three record for fewest rushing yards by a team in a game is minus 112, which was Wesleyan's total against Coast Guard in 1989. You can make your own remark here about the NESCAC only playing a conference schedule these days. And this was D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, number 208, season 12, episode 10, released on October 1st, 2018. Thanks for listening and keep an eye on the rest of our coverage throughout the week. If you like this podcast, please consider rating it in Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts because that will help other football fans find it. You can also leave comments on the blog page. 
The executive producer of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at DJMentos.com. Thanks to our guests, Gabby Price and Frank Rossi, for their time on this edition of our show. And, of course, thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my intrepid co-host, Keith McMillan. Intrep- intrepid. Intrepid only comes in front of co-host, right? Intrepid something. Isn't that a car? Uh, and a, like a battleship or something, right? Something like that. Regardless of whatever it is, you can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football on Twitter, and Keith is at D3Keith. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at D3Boards.com. Also, you can follow D3Football.com on Facebook. Hey, are you going to keep the two-point conversion theme going and do the outro one more time? This copyrighted broadcast of the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast is the property of D3Football.com and intended solely for the private personal use of our audience. Any other broadcast, rebroadcast, or other use of the descriptions and accounts of this podcast without the express written consent of D3Sports.com is strictly prohibited. This is what Pat does to entertain people at parties. <laughs> they do. I do not get invited uh, back to many parties this way, that's for dang sure. I really think it's all the energy drinks that uh, got them to win that game by two. Well, energy drinks should sponsor the pod then. Right. We uh, noticed that I didn't mention a specific energy drink. That's an opportunity for you guys out there. I need definitely at least two and a half hours of energy to get through the recording and the editing of this podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much, everybody.